Hello, and welcome to Out West, the official podcast of the Western Governors Association, a bipartisan organization representing the governors of the 22 westernmost states and territories. I'm Jim Ogsbury, Executive Director of WGA. The use of technology has become increasingly integral to today's jobs, from online applications to everyday workplace functions. To ensure that workers and communities are not left behind, Western governors are committed to closing the digital divide, particularly by expanding broadband access to rural and underserved communities. But the digital divide does not end with an internet connection. If technologies are not created and deployed with every worker in mind, the disabled community faces even greater barriers to employment. This episode of Out West highlights technological advancements and universal design principles that will help us build fully accessible and inclusive workplaces for workers of all abilities. We also explore ways in which states can leverage policy to accelerate the adoption of accessible technology. Today, WGA Policy Associate Lauren Cloward will dive into these issues with Dr. Aaron Bangor, Director of Compliance at AT AT&T and Chair of the Texas Governor's Committee on People with Disabilities. Thanks for joining us today, Erin. Let's start off with your professional experience. Uh, You co-founded AT&T's Corporate Accessibility Technology Office. Just tell me how that's helped AT&T design and build technology that's accessible for people with disabilities. Sure, and and thanks, Lauren, for for having me today. Uh, You know, AT&T has a long history of creating assistive technologies, um, you know, really uh, almost going back to its founding, the the telephone. It was um, an offshoot of research Alexander Graham Bell was doing related to um, how to visualize speech communications. Um, And and AT&T and its, you know, various Companies uh, helped develop uh, early hearing aids, tactile switchboards, you, you know, that people who are blind could, could be um, operators. Uh, one of the original video phones that was demonstrated, at the, I think it was the 1964 World's Fair. But, um, you know, it's one thing to come up with a, a specific solution for the needs of, of people with disabilities. So that's what I'll generally call assistive technology, technology that's meant to address those needs, but uh, you know, accessible technology is also important. How do we make sure that general product and service offerings are usable by by people with disabilities? And, and that's what I'll call accessible technology. And one of the things that we, um, we're looking to do with creating uh, the Corporate Accessibility Technology Office is how do we systematically, throughout a company of over 200,000 employees um, that had lines of business in not only traditional uh, wired telephone service, but wireless services, TV services, uh, entertainment services, business services, quite a wide variety of things. How how do you make that, uh, all those offerings accessible? So we really started with uh, a philosophy of universal design, which wasn't new. We we publicly adopted our universal design um, uh, promise back in 1998. And here, you know, universal design specifically is not a single thing. It's not, there isn't a product that is universal design or not. Universal design is really a philosophy. It's a process of 
when you're thinking about building technology, are you thinking of the widest number of users possible in terms of who will use it, where they'll use it, how they'll use it? And we, and we build on that. Um, and so once we got the philosophy right, the governance process right across the company and the various business units and got their buy-in, then we need to work on the capability. It's, it's one thing to say we want to do the right thing. We want to make our products um, you know, as widely available as possible. There's, there's obviously a profit mode there too, but you have the capabilities in your organization to do it. And so we, we spent uh, a long time, years, uh, moving from a, hey, there's a handful of people that are accessibility engineers and know how to create products and services and websites and mobile apps and things like that that are accessible to making sure that that 200 plus thousand people in the company who are never going to be accessibility experts, but do they have the right resources? Do they have the proper training, the right standards, the right tools to really empower them to uh, know what their role is in building accessible technology and they, then the ability to actually execute on it. So, you know, really that, that's what the accessible, accessibility technology office was about, was um, transforming uh, across the company, not only having the right um, focus on it, but then the ability to follow through on that and produce results. Thanks. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, there are any number of career paths that you could have pursued when you were younger. But what led you to specifically choose a career that helps people with disabilities through technology? Well, I, I don't know that it was sort of planned this way, but um, I think I, I just start out with it for selfish reasons. Yeah. Uh, I, I grew up from, from an early age having multiple disabilities myself. Um, I, I think my story in some ways is a lot like a lot of uh, uh, people that aspire to be an engineer, uh, we were interested in how things work, the, the little um, gadgets and, and things around us. But I wasn't really one to that would classically take apart things and see how they work. I was really interested in why were things designed the way they were, and in particular, why they weren't designed for, for people like me. Um, and so I wanted to pick apart more might say the psychology of the design, what went into it, why certain choices were made, and that attracted me to a field called human factors engineering, uh, which is the study of how people interact with with technology and, and human-made systems and environments. And my first job at AT&T was in AT&T Labs in our human factors engineering research group. And I, um, you know, literally tested thousands of people in our lab about various products and services and things that we were offering to better understand how does it work? Is it user-friendly? If it's not user-friendly, why is that? So we can make it better. Uh, and and it happens uh, at the same time that, you know, when you're testing with people, people with disabilities are people too. In fact, uh, you know, depending on which statistic you want to use somewhere between one eighth and, and one quarter of our population. So good design is not um, just for people without disabilities. You talked about having uh, some disabilities yourself. Um, what have you noticed are kind of the three most common accessibility challenges, both for you and then other people with, with disabilities that you've come across in your work? 
Well, uh, you know, um, challenges or barriers are going to vary quite widely. Disability is a, a very broad spectrum. You add in not only the nature of disability being very broad from a human standpoint, then all the systems you're interacting with, whether it's your your cell phone or a website or you know the the um, a nuclear power plant, um, uh, maybe or or the cockpit of a you know 787, uh, it can be very complex. And so, you know, the way I'd actually choo choose to answer that is the three main challenges people with disabilities have are physical barriers, digital barriers, and attitudinal barriers um, to what's been what what's been built and that they have to interact with. Um, we're still, I think, struggling with the the digital barriers, um, and uh, you know, we're we're going through uh, kind of a learning curve as a society on how we're going to treat that. And a lot of people with disabilities are asserting their rights, whether it's websites or mobile apps or, or TV shows, um, to make sure that um, the, the digital realm, the online realm, is as accessible as we expect the physical environment. Uh, and then the attitudinal barriers. So even even if we can make the physical environment around us accessible, even if we could wave a wand and make the, the online world accessible, um, you know, there there still are attitudinal barriers. There There's, you know, um, conscious and unconscious bias around disability. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples of where we've struggled with this. Um, in, uh, in our work last year, um, uh, I was, uh, Chair of the Automation Technology Subcommittee of a National Task Force on the Future Workforce. This was convened by the Council of State Governments. And one of the things we talked about early on, which is just the word disability, in the context of work and employment, disability still strongly means literally you can't work. You go on disability when you can't work. Well, so we want to talk about people with disabilities getting hired. We want to improve the less than 20% employment rate for people with disabilities because it's less than a third of that of people without disabilities, right? How do we do that when there's this mental block that's immediately when people hear disability that they think, well, isn't it kind of an oxymoron to say employment of people with disabilities when disability is something that means you can't work? Uh, and then there's another example from kind of my AT&T realm uh, is to talk about the nature of disability. You know, I talked about some definitions earlier uh, about universal design and and uh, and assistive and accessible technology. One that um, I first tried this with an audience I did, and I thought they were going to kind of tune me out because I was talking about definitions of words, and I thought, oh my God, they're they're going to sort of say, oh, you know, I didn't come to read the dictionary. It turned out to be the only thing most of the audience remembered about this talk, and I was talking to them about the definition of disability, um, and that the classic definition, and one you'll find generally in like the ADA and in, in, in the law, is about having a an impairment that physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more daily activities. So you've got in there impairment and limitation, and when you listen to that definition, you can't help but think that the person with a disability is less than somehow, that um, that they have 
um, not been fixed yet in some way, that medicine or therapists or whatnot have, have not made them whole. And so when you go into as a designer with that mindset, you think, oh, my job as a designer um, of, let's say, accessible technology or even assistive technology, my job is to make use technology to make the person whole in some way. It is your gift to that person to say, I'm going to make you more than you are. And, and that really sets a, a model, a dynamic in that interaction, in most cases very subconsciously, that, um, that the, what that designer's job is and what they're thinking about and how they're thinking about the people they're designing for. And that's fundamentally different than how they might think about designing for most anybody else. And so I introduced the, the, a different definition of disability, one that comes from what's called the social model of disability, that says that disability is a mismatch between the person and their environment. And really what that does is transforms that relationship between designer and user to one of, as a designer, if I fail to do my job, I've created a barrier. If I do my job well, I've not created a barrier. Therefore, disability is really in my hands to either create or not create in the interaction that I'm designing. And so rather than, you know, oh, here's a, in the medical model, that first legal kind of definition of disability, it's about, well, anything I give you is a bonus. And so no matter how little I do, it's still, you know, here's, here's my gift to you. Whereas a, as a social model, idea that there's a mismatch it is within your control and the worst job I do the work the greater the barrier I've created and that's on me and so what we've talked about with designers at AT&T is it's your responsibility not to create the barriers in the first place it's a really great point and um, I really like that idea of the social definition and, and it being a mismatch between your environments um, and the fact that you know technology is really a way to, an accessible technology is a way to integrate more people with disabilities into the workforce who are a large source and, and pool of talent. Um, but I do know that accessible technology uh, beyond you know, being useful for people with, with disabilities, um, it can be helpful regardless of ability. So how have you seen kind of those design principles of universal and accessible design benefit all workers? I think the most obvious example and, and one we've championed at AT&T is really around captioning videos. And, and that's pretty straightforward, but it's it's very powerful in this day and age because so much of what we do is video-based. And it's, you know, it's, let's just take training, for instance. Um, or now that we're in remote, in a lot of cases, um, you know, our interactions with our colleagues, with our leadership and in the organization, is gonna be through video. Uh, and captions are very powerful. Obviously, they benefit people with hearing loss, um, but research has shown that it helps improve information retention. I have to say, at least uh, for your point with captions, I'm definitely a visual learner. So whenever there's captions on a video, um, it definitely helps me retain information, kind of like, like what you were saying. Looking at employment specifically and, and disability employment, what are, uh, you know, one or two examples of 
some innovative, maybe more recent technologies that have really helped either you or, or other people that you've seen with disabilities overcome some of those uh, really high barriers to employment? You know, we, uh, Pete, um, the Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology, did some research a few years ago and, and found that 46% of job applicants found that uh, web job application websites are difficult or impossible to use. Um, you know, if almost half of people with disabilities aren't going to be able to get through that first door, then is it any wonder, you know, that we, we see less than 20% employment rates of people with disabilities. So um, we, we've, you know, really talked about this uh, in a state level and policymaking perspective. We certainly talked about it at at and Let's, you know, if we can't make the welcome, welcome mat welcoming, because it's not accessible. I mean, that tells people with disabilities right off the bat, oh, they're not serious about it. Um, so making the site accessible, and certainly having content on there that you know has some representation of, shows a commitment to people with disabilities. Um, you know, mention the job accommodation process and then that ability availability there is important. Um, so just from a you know size and impact, if you know scale, that that's kind of one I would say is you know, very important. Clearly, there's some great design being done um, in the space. Turning to your work with, with Texas and with policy, um, what has the state done to encourage universal design and the adoption of some of these really great uh, assistive technologies? I'll talk about two. I mean, there, there's lots that you know we could go into, but two of them I, I think I'm particularly proud of and um, you know I think have direct relationship to employment. So one is um, with, the, with the support of the Texas Education Agency's commissioner, uh, last year the Governor's Committee helped form, them form a Digital Curriculum uh, uh, Accessibility Advisory Committee. And this was really in response to not only testimony that we received from the public uh, with our committee, but through uh, a lot of relationships we've built across the state, which is as more and more um, of the classroom becomes digital, and and certainly in this last six months, it, it you know that ramped up to 11. But even last year, you know this was strongly the trend: showing videos in the classroom using digital textbooks or websites or PDF files as worksheets. Um, you know, people with disabilities um, were being left behind because a lot of the teachers were not aware of what makes technology accessible. What should they be looking for? Even if they knew they had a student with a disability, they were um, not always able to deliver something that would work for, for them. So the, the goal of this advisory committee is to help set standards uh, across the state uh, and provide, and maybe more in standards, just provide the resources that um, curriculum specialists and classroom teachers and teacher's aides and everybody involved in, in supporting student learning from K to 12 can use to make sure that these digital resources are accessible. And that's extremely important because without an accessible education, there is a fundamental and systematic barrier for people with disabilities to attain their future independence. And society loses out on their talents because they are not going to be able to join the workforce or be as productive in the workforce without that quality education. You know, I mentioned I, you know, I have a PhD in engineering, and that was because I had 
accessible uh, and assistive technology resources to be able to get that level of education. Um, and without it, you know, I wouldn't be in a STEM field and I wouldn't be able to bring the perspective of a person with disability to the work being done in STEM. If there are systematic barriers, particularly for math and sciences, um, you know, engineering and so forth, then uh, then people with disabilities aren't going to go in their fields. And then um, technology development in the future is going to lack that perspective. And it's going to be worse off because of that lack of perspective in its development. Uh, the second area I mentioned is, is really around accessible transportation. And, um, you know, there's a lot of technology um, that goes into this that, that we're seeing more and more. But something I came back to is some research we did on the governor's committee a few years ago, we we're looking at how transportation affects people with and without disabilities. And we, we found that in general, that transportation was about a was about 50% more often a barrier for people to do things like go to the grocery store or go to the doctor's visit, go to a doctor's visit, um, or um, just go out and socialize with people. And um, and in particular to get to work and get to work reliably because if you can't get to work at the same time every day um, good chance you may not stay employed in that job so um, accessible transportation is huge and so we've been looking at how do we make sure that as autonomous vehicles are being built not just a physical vehicle to get in and out let's say as a person that uses a fixed frame wheelchair but the technology that's going to be packed inside to it inside of it itself as well as the technology you're going to use to call the um, vehicle you know through an app let's say needs to be accessible um, we see and that's kind of you know we're on the cusp of that little in the future kind of the here and now is the transportation network companies services like uber and lyft and so forth um, same same thing are their services accessible uh, and, and making sure that we're um, making sure that um, frankly, the experience people with disabilities, let's say, have today with cab companies, and there's some regulation usually around these regulated cab companies about, let's say, what percent of the fleet has to be able to um, be able to uh, pick up and drop off people in fixed frame wheelchairs. Uh, is that carrying over to the TNCs? Those are really important examples in our digital age, and you know, with the pandemic, everything going on. Um, and some, some, something that other states and local governments can look to is, you know, some of the work that you guys are doing there in Texas. Um, how have you utilized some of the state exchange on employment and disabilities resources that they have uh, for, for that? Yeah, well, I, I think the, the definitive work there that SEED has done recently is the 2016 Work Matters Report, and, and I was fortunate enough to be involved in, in creating that and and definitely brought up you know the things we're doing in Texas to that but then when we were done with that brought it back to Texas and as importantly if not more importantly than that were the resources in there of the difference what different states were doing and and learning from each other uh, Ron Lucy who's our uh, executive director of the governor's committee you know likes to say taxpayers should only have to pay for a good idea once and um, and so we need to be thinking about, um, you know, how, how are we taking good ideas from 
uh, from other states and um, figuring out how they will work best in our state, in my case, Texas. Thanks, Aaron. And then briefly before we wrap up, based on your experience and, and your many years uh, in the field, how do you envision the future of disability employment and what role will technology really play? Yeah, I think technology is key. And, and I would, whether you call it um, digitalization or, or virtualization, um, the trend toward um, technology mediating more and more of the work that's done within the workforce. Uh, and, and to give you an example, think of plain text, ASCII text. I mean, it's really boring. It's, it's the kind of there a lot of whether we're doing a PowerPoint or, or captions or whatever, but text can be made any font size, it can be changed to color, any color you want, whatever works best for you. Text can be turned into speech, you know, like a screen reader does, or speech can be turned into text like dictation. You can copy and paste it, you can search it, you can do all these things with text. That's almost impossible to do if you have a printed page, right? So as we, as technology and data begin to mediate more and more of the work that gets done, even if it's with a physical environment, there will be like a digital twin, a model of that physical environment, the physical system may be done digitally so that it can be more easily monitored and so forth. This is right for making it accessible because there's, there's nothing inherently inaccessible about zeros and ones that digital technology is made on. It's really our our choice as designers to make that accessible because we're not necessarily dealing with the laws of physics like we are in the physical environment. And so as more jobs are mediated by technology and the software that manages that data and those systems, it's really key to make sure that accessibility is built in upfront, that we're baking it in, we're not bolting it on after the fact because it just doesn't work that way any more than it does trying to retrofit a building that was made inaccessible at first, and then you have to jackhammer stairs and things like that. So I, I'm really excited about technologies that help virtualize or, or transform into software, because it will allow more people with disabilities to do work, even, even if maybe in the past, the physical nature of it may have uh, presented barriers. Um, and, and, and frankly, at the same time, the virtual nature of it will lend itself to telework or at least remote work or mobile office work, which you know benefit everybody, um, but provides a lot of flexibility on how and when and where we work. And that flexibility is just inherent in the nature of accessibility. Um, and so um, the, the, the technologies that are rolling out now around internet of things and smart manufacturing and cloud computing and artificial intelligence um, machine learning, all these sort of, you know, things that, you know, people kind of hear about are all converging on uh, a, um, a software-driven uh, workplace that if we make the right choices, we have the right philosophy around universal design, we think inclusively about who will be uh, in, in the workforce, that it will be people with disabilities, uh, that we train people with disabilities through the education system to be eligible for these fields, uh, the sky's the limit for employment of people with disabilities. 
Well, Aaron, um, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing some of these advancements in the coming years and what that can do uh, to the disability employment space. So uh, really appreciate the work that you do and thanks so much for being on this afternoon. Lauren, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out West, presented in partnership with the State Exchange on Employment and Disability. To learn more about SEED's ongoing work on disability employment, please visit dol.gov. And be sure to join us next time as we continue to discuss emerging issues facing the Western United States. Finally, WGA would like to thank Aaron Banger for sharing his expertise on accessible technology and disability employment. Happy trails, everyone.